No tears in heaven. I'm so thankful to God there is a place that God has prepared for those who love him where there are no tears. It is a place where God rests in eternity and Jesus is there at his right hand and the Holy Spirit is there orchestrating all things. And we're so thankful to God that we are able to sing such a song with, as Paul would say, with, with much confidence. Uh, that there is a crown of righteousness, and that the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give unto us who love him. Uh, Paul made sure that he encouraged young Timothy as he was preaching the gospel in Ephesus to understand that uh, after all this life is over, as we, after we have fought this good fight, after we have finished this course, uh, there is a crown of righteousness. There is a crown of righteousness that fadeth not away. It is to be given to those uh, who have struggled through many things, uh, who have come, as uh, John would say in Revelations 2 and 10, have come out of much trial and tribulation. Uh, but now we have that crown of righteousness in that day that would fade not away. There'll be no tears uh, in heaven. I remember when John said in the book of Revelations, he said when he was in the spirit on the Lord's day, that he saw in heaven streets of gold, walled of jasper, crystal waters. Uh, these uh, symbols are given so that we as in our humanity can get just a glimpse of the beauty of heaven. It is where the angels dwell. It is where there is no need for the uh, S-U-N to shine because the S-O-N is always shining. Amen. He is our bright and our morning star. We're so thankful that we can sing such a song that there'll be no tears in heaven. Thank you, Brother Martin, for that song, for those songs that you've led us in. And surely we appreciate each of you for uh, adding your voices to the worship service and making it what it should be. Uh, it is to sing uh, the sacrifice of praise. It is the fruit of our lips, and we do that continually toward the Lord. I want to call your attention very quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 as we uh, continue to uh, drill down into our theme, uh, uh, but I am spiritual. Uh, we have been working on this as a part of a larger theme that is addressing the several spiritual constructs that we have been unfolding, the ark, 
the tabernacle, the temple, the church, and certainly the covenant itself. All of these things are spiritual constructs that God has given us throughout the Bible from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelations. Uh, we find these spiritual constructs be inter being interwoven uh, in the various themes and thoughts that God has chosen for us to know as he has given us uh, the word of God to study. And so we once again wish to return back to, but I am spiritual. Because we recognize that there is a transition that each and every one of us as children of God need to make in our lives. And it is a transition from that which is dependent upon that which is earthly or of the flesh, that which would be identified by Paul as carnal, that which would be identified and described as being natural man, that would also which would be identified and described as the old man. Uh, we recognize that there's a transition that must take place, and that is from all of those things that I just enumerated into a spiritual life that no longer consists of the things of the flesh, that no longer consists of the things of the natural, no, no longer consisting of those things which are of a temporal nature. Uh, but when we transition from that which is of the world to that which is of God, we begin to evolve our consciousness. In other words, we're not dependent upon those things which are uh, of the world, but we're now focused and dependent upon those things which are of God. Therefore, we talk about purging our conscience from dead works and accepting the word of God, the seed of God, so that as we receive that seed of God, that old man dies. It is mortified in the watery grave of baptism. Not only is that old man mortified, put to death in the watery grave of baptism, according to Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 6. But we also understand that when we arise to walk in the newness of life, not only have we committed ourselves to put that old man to death, but now we have also committed ourselves to renew our conscience, to change the way that we think, to change the way that we contemplate and imagine how we ought to live our lives. That's why Peter would make us remind, remind us and he would make us uh, understand that it's not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but it's an answer of a good conscience toward God. That is the, that is the cornerstone of baptism. We understand that these things that I speak about are spiritual. Uh, we know that we are still in the world. The Bible makes it very clear that we're still in the world. But the difference is that we're no longer of the world. In that our minds have changed, our consciousness has changed. As 1 Peter 3 and 15 would speak about, if you will, the conscience of the spirit begins to overcome the weaknesses of the flesh. And thereby, through our consciousness of our spirit, we begin to live lives that, that put to death the earthly things, but bring to life those spiritual things. In 1 Peter chapter 1 and 18, we said the, 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 the word of God, the seed, if you will, the word of God is uncorruptible. In other words, as long as we continue to read what the word of God says and we don't let man arrest the scripture to begin to teach something that, uh, of those things that are not of God, then our spirits we begin to be, it will continue to be fed and by continuing to be fed, our lives become more spiritual and less carnal. It is a process. It is an evolution that takes place. 
the natural man, as Paul would say in the very spiritual sense in 1 Corinthians 15, 44, as he spoke about the, the uh, transference of one's body into that which is celestial from that which is terrestrial. He would use the idea to understand, help us understand, that there is a transition. Whenever one is going from one state to the other, there is a process that must take place. And surely when we talk about, but I am spiritual, to become spiritual is not just, is not just a phrase that we use. It is, it, is, it is actually a real process whereby our minds begin to focus on those things which are of God and not those things which are of the world. It becomes spiritual. It was, it was so natural, but it is raised spiritual. Paul continues to help us to understand as our physical state will change, so must our spiritual consciousness. David would echo this in Psalm 27 in verse number 1 and following. He would help us to understand that, that, that yes, the natural man, the fleshly man, that old man needs to be put to death. And the natural man needs to, if you will, be brought into subjection. Yes, that flesh needs to be brought under control, but it cannot be done without this spiritual man. Becoming strengthened by God's word. Being able to overcome those things which are of the flesh. Those things which are, if you will, when we come here into this world, not having the, the sensitivity and the knowledge of the word of God in its fullness since. When that, when that, babe enters in, that baby enters into the world, that baby enters into a world that is full of influences. And, and those influences are of the world. And, and those influences that are of the world, if that baby does not receive what it needs in order to focus on God as opposed to focusing on the world, then that baby will be consumed by the influences of the world. Peter would help us to understand this in a very spiritual sense. Because he refers to every one of us. It doesn't matter how old we are when we, when we obey the gospel, amen. It doesn't matter how old we are. Peter refers to us as babes, as babies, as infants that come into the body of Christ. And he says as newborn babes, uh, if you will, long for or desire the sincere milk of the word which ye may, that ye may grow thereby. It is the word of God that has no guile, that has no sin. It is the word of God that supersedes the flesh and brings the old man into captivity and brings that old man, that natural man into subjectivity of the word of God. He says that ye may grow thereby unto what? Unto salvation. It is a process that takes place. Our physical state will change, yes. But so must our spiritual consciousness. It must change. It must evolve. In 1 Peter 2 and 5, he calls us living stones. Some would translate it as lively stones, uh, living stones. Amen. And some of you probably see the, 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 the complexity of such a phrase. Stones is mostly associated with an inanimate object. Something that may be of heavy weight, maybe lightweight, but nevertheless, it is solid. A stone doesn't necessarily breathe. Amen. Unless it has holes in it. But nevertheless, the consciousness in terms of that stone, if you will, 
is, is uh, the idea of the stone being an inanimate object. It has no life in it in terms of our life as a soul, if you will. But God is not referring to stone in this type of place. When he says living stones, he's talking about that which is, which is committed and that which is now uh, uh, solidified, amen, and grounded, if you will, to, to, to become that which God desires it to be, which is a living stone, fortified, able to overcome the things of the world. As living stones, you are built up a spiritual house, he calls it, Peter does, to be a holy priesthood. To, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And, and, and here we need to make sure that we understand that, that these living stones, these living stones that we have become or, uh, if you will, are, uh, are evolving to become in our consciousness is about us changing our lives, as we talk about many times in Romans chapter 12, when he says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may uh, show forth what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then he says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Our sacrifice is not of animals or, 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 or inanimate objects. The living stone is a sacrifice unto God. And that living stone is you. It's us. Amen. That we present our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. Holy and acceptable unto him. Right? He talks about how this must occur. Paul does in Romans chapter 8. To become spiritual, the carnal man must evolve. You cannot, you cannot remain in the flesh of your minds and expect to be acceptable unto God. He must evolve. He, he, the, the seed, except the seed, die. It cannot become that which God desires it to be. An apple seed is an apple seed, but it cannot fully realize all that it can be, which is a fullness of a fruit, if it doesn't, if it's not planted into the earth, and that seed then dies within the earth. But within that seed, when it dies in the earth, it springs forth a sprout, if you will, that eventually blossoms and becomes a full apple tree, and all of the fruit thereon becomes a manifestation. Of just that seed. Except the seed fall into the earth and die. It cannot fully become that which God desires it to be. And except a man, if you will, buries himself in the, uh, is buried in the watery grave of baptism. He himself can never become that which God desires him to be. That old man has to be put to death. The natural has to be put to death. The flesh has to be put to death in order for that spiritual man to come forth and be what God desires him to be. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It is an evolution of our consciences. And so we now transition into where we are today. And I am, but I am spirit. The spirit is life. You see what the challenge is? A lot of people think just because we are breathing every day that we have life. You may have a life that is in the physical realm, 
oxygen to pass through your nostrils into your lungs, allowing that oxygen to be dispersed throughout your body through your river of blood flowing from one end of your body to the other, if that is what you call life, then, then I guess you can argue that one has life. But, but, but God says something very powerful. He says, I have come that you might have life. Now, wait, you've got to stop there for a second. Because when that phrase was written, people were already breathing. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Blood was already flowing from one end of the other. But God said, I have come. That you might have life, which means that, 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 that when you define life as just a, a breathing and having oxygen move through your body, amen, that's not the life that God is talking about. As a matter of fact, it would be better described when one limits their idea of life to just oxygen flowing through their bodies. That's called an existence, but it ain't life. You're existing, but you're not alive. Amen. You can't be. Not in the way that God desires you to be. Because God says, I have come that you might have life. And that you may have it more abundantly. So that means that God looks at life differently than how we look at life. And Lord have mercy. Just knowing that, I would want to be with the Lord. <laughs> Because God looks at life completely different how we look at life than how we look at life. Amen. It is based on a spiritual concept. In Romans 8 and 10, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. You notice here then, he talks about that which is flesh, that which is natural, that which is carnal. He says, if Christ, if Christ, you see, it is a choice that you make. If Christ is in you, then you can have that which is spiritual. If Christ is not in you, you have no chance of being that which is spiritual. If Christ is in you, Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 14, we know by faith Christ dwells in us. When we go down to that watery grave of baptism, we know that Christ comes in and makes his abode with us. The Father comes in, makes his abode with us. The Holy Spirit comes in, makes his abode with us. Amen. And so we now by faith have God, the Godhead dwelling in us spiritually. Evolving, our temple, our tabernacle has been cleaned and cleansed through the watery grave of baptism. But we didn't leave it desolate. We didn't leave it empty. What we did was we invited three guests. At a minimum, we invited three guests. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if they be in you, then you be God's. Lord have mercy. You belong to the Lord. Amen. In 2 John 9, he makes it very clear that he that hath not the Son hath not the Father. And if you have not the Son and you don't have the Father, you have not the Holy Spirit. You have nothing. You're desolate. We know that the Bible makes it very clear 
that by faith, when the Father comes and dwells in us, and by faith we know that Christ dwells in us, and certainly Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 11 helps us to understand that God gives us his spirit. He is, if you will, that solidifying gift of God. That when Romans chapter 8 speaks of how the spirit maketh intercessions with our spirit, it is because God has placed that spirit in a position that when his sons and his daughters, if you will, are in, 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 in need of having a communication with him and in times of distress, uh, if you will, in times of being uh, repressed, in times of struggles, when we don't know what to say, how to say, because our physical uh, aspects of our humanity sometimes limit how we can think and how we can contemplate. It is because our relationship with God, where we can come to God, ask God for what it is that we need, and the limitations of our flesh that may confuse our minds, the Holy Spirit knows what it is that we need. Amen. And he makes that communication with God, Amen. with groans, moans, and utterance, that we cannot even utter ourselves, don't even understand it. We don't even know how to pray, Paul says. And he's speaking of the terms of when those things come, when the flesh is so weak. We think that is our flesh that is communicating to God when it actually is not our flesh that's communicating to God. It's our spirit that's communicating to God. And so the spirit makes, is a, this Romans chapter 8 says the spirit is a witness of our spirit that we are the sons and daughters of God. You see, this is spiritual. And a spiritual life, if you will, begins with the understanding that if we're going to become spiritual in the spiritual sense, something must die first. And that which needs to die, which must die, is the carnality of our minds, the carnality of our flesh. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 1. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and you have to understand there's a lot of things going on with Corinth. Corinth has a lot of spiritual gifts. Unlike many of the other congregations of the churches of Christ throughout the Bible. The spiritual gifts, or at least at the very minimum, the, 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 the comprehensiveness of the spiritual gifts is not as enumerated in those books to those churches or congregations as it is to the, uh, to, the, uh, to the church of Corinth. But nevertheless, Paul makes it very clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 1. For we know. You see, there's, when, when you are living a spiritual life, there is something that you need to uh, evolve to. You need to know some stuff when it comes to living a spiritual life. Let me tell you something. If you don't know that the Spirit makes intercessions for you in the midst of your struggles, boy, you 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 in bad shape. You in bad shape because you you actually think that when your when you, when when your when your when your flesh has overcome and caused you to fall into sin, amen. You think that, you, that, that, that there's no way out of that situation, but when you know that God is on the other end of the line with your spirit you know that you have an opportunity to ask for forgiveness. And God is faithful and he's just. That if you ask for forgiveness, 1 John chapter 1 and 7, he's faithful and just that he'll forgive you and that he'll remember no more. You see, the devil doesn't want you to know. The devil wants you to be ignorant of the power of God. 
And if he, if he, and if he has you in that position and in that, in that condition, then in that disposition, you'll lose your soul. Because you don't think you can go to the Lord. For we know, Paul says, that if our earthly house, notice something here. He makes it very clear. He, 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 he identifies that there is a distinction between the spiritual house and the earthly house. As we read when Peter, when we read Peter, Peter says you are, you are live living stones and you have built up a spiritual house. Here he put, uh, Paul lets it know, let us know that there is an earthly house. And then he says our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved. And so you know what he's talking about. He's talking about this flesh. Let me tell you something. This body goes back to the dust of the earth from which it came. But the spirit goes back to God who gave it. So it's not about, we, we, we might be running around trying to preserve this flesh, amen. But this flesh will go back to the dust of the earth from which it came. The spirit goes back to God who gave it. He says, of this tabernacle, we're dissolved. In other words, he makes it very clear that it is a temporal nature. It is going to be dissolved. He says, but here's our hope. Here's our glory. Here's the reason for us to praise God on a Sunday morning with the fruit of our lips. We have a, a building of God and a house not made with hands. And he says, eternal in the heavens. See, this is a spiritual body. This is a spiritual body. And I want you to see something here that I may not have may not have been as descriptive as I could have been early in these series of messages. But when we talk about the spiritual constructs when we talk about the ark and the, tab the tabernacle, the temple and and the church and the covenant. When we talk about these spiritual constructs, you have to understand something through this principle. And, 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 and hopefully this is a time for you to connect the dot here. All of these things that are in this idea of these spiritual constructs have come from the mind of God. In other words, these spiritual constructs represent something that God designed. And he designed it with perfection. And by designing it with perfection, he understands, if you will, how these things can benefit those who desire to become part of it. And so when Paul writes here and he says, we, 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 he says, though our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands eternal in the heavens. What he's simply letting us know is, is that that which is of heaven is everlasting to everlasting. But if you're trying to depend on stuff down here, you're depending on stuff that is going to be dissolved. What God has designed has been designed to be perfect until the next evolution of his plan unfolds. The ark was perfect in its design and its construct. The ark was perfect in that he allowed Noah and the eight souls to enter into that ark. The ark was perfect in that they entered into that ark in an agreement called a covenant that they will come in and in that covenant agreement that they would worship God and worship him in spirit and in truth. 
The ark was perfect. Until God in his time, in his plan, the ark, if you will, had its, uh, 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 its use carrying those eight souls from the, 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 the diluvian period of the flood to the post-diluvian period after the flood carried them over the flood and brought them into the new creation. It had its use. And then once that use was fulfilled, in comes the tabernacle. Because now you have God taking a family being looked at as righteous before him to carry forward the graciousness and the mercy and the love and the kindness that he wanted to to bestow upon man and they carried across the flood to the other side and when they get to the other side the ark is no longer if you will the, the spiritual construct that is to be carried forward because now the ark is done and now it's time for man through Abraham to carry forth the tabernacle which eventually we have Moses and the others but we find ourselves in this construct where God says, what I make is not made with hands, but it's internal in the heavens. It's eternal, rather, in the heavens. God's constructs are perfect because they come from him. And, and, and that's why when we, when we talk about this, this, this spiritual life and this spiritual life being in the church, uh, and we're looking at how this spiritual life must be manifested by one putting away the filth of the flesh and the answer of a good conscience toward God. He's saying, if you truly want to become perfect, then you have to become spiritual because they're one and the same. You cannot become perfect without becoming spiritual. It is a process of life where if you are going to be that which God will enter into heaven's glory, then you must come through that which is spiritual. It must come from God. It cannot be a construct that's made by the minds of man. Verse number two. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 2, For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. Lord, have mercy. We want to be clothed upon. There's something, there's a a transformation that we desire to have, that you should desire to have, as Paul would say. And only God can put these clothes on you. Lord, have mercy. You can't go to Neiman Marcus and get this dress and this suit. You've got to be able to understand that this is a spiritual construct because when it comes to living a spiritual life, it is God that needs to clothe you. He says we we should desire to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. Remember, we had read in 1 Corinthians 15 and 44, we talked about how, how, how the, 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 uh, 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 the natural man, if you will, there's a, there's a conversion that takes place where, where we, we once, if you will, donned the, the clothing of the terrestrial, but in that transformation, when we, if you will, are being prepared to enter into heaven's glory, we shall also 
bear the image of the celestial. In other words, that is where God is. That is the clothing that we desire to be clothed upon or be, uh, uh, be placed in. And so he goes on and says, verse number three, if so be that being clothed, we should not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle, that is in our flesh, do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, amen, but be clothed upon. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me deal with that. Just existing is a struggle. And that's what the world is doing. The world is existing, and it's a struggle because all of the challenges of life, all of the things of the devil that have been left behind here, we have to deal with, we have to wrestle with, we have to struggle with, and all of the sins that come with it. And let me tell you, just being in that existence, that, 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 that's a torment. I need something that gives me hope that I don't have to be like this forever. I don't have to dwell like this forever. But there will come a time on God's calendar where he will see that which he identifies as righteous and then he will transform me. He will clothe me to become that which is celestial. To become that which is eternal. To become that which is righteous before him. To become that which is, which is truly a representation of life. And when God talks about that life, he's talking about eternal life. I have come that you might have life and that you may have it more abundantly. He's talking about eternal life. About the transformation that needs to take place. Paul would say to the Corinthians, he would say, look. In verse number four, once again, for we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened. Not for that we would be unclothed. And I'm hoping that, that look, let me tell you something. Let me say, share this. Look, look. Lord, don't take me before I'm ready. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not running to the grave. So I'm not eagerly running to the, to the grave. Amen. I know it's coming. But Lord, I, 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 in my prayer, I'm saying to you, Lord, don't take me before I'm ready to go. So I'm not eagerly wanting to be unclothed with this existence. Lord, have mercy. So don't run to the grave. You strive every day to live a life that is worthy of heaven's glory. Amen. And you say to the Lord, when you have identified, Lord, that I'm ready to enter into eternal life, then I'm ready to be unclothed and clothed. But I'm not running to the grave. Amen. Because you run into the grave, and if you don't know that your ticket going to be punched, I think you're doing some kind of foolish. If you don't know that you're going to make it into heaven's glory, I wouldn't be rushing the grave. Amen. Amen. I'm going to let the Lord handle that on his time. 
and pray that I'm when 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 all things are done and, and life is coming to an end for me, that the Lord will find me worthy. Now, Lord, I don't, I, don't, I don't even require all the, the whistles and bells like you did for Elijah. I don't, I don't need all that. Hey, Amen. I, I don't need a chariot to come down and, and swoop me up. I don't need all that. Just let me know I'm amazing. That, that's enough for me. Amen. That, that's all I need. I don't need all that other stuff. Amen. I just want to make it. I just want to make it. Amen. There's enough burden down here. There's enough sorrow down here. There's enough tears down here. There's enough pain down here. There's enough suffering down here. I need to go someplace where there's no more sorrow, no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears. That's where I want to go. And I know that ain't in hell. So I ain't rushing to the grave if I'm not ready to go to heaven. Don't slow down. I'm not ready. Give me some time. You know, I, I want the mind of Hezekiah. Amen. That's, I want the mind of Hezekiah. When, when, when the prophet came to Hezekiah and said, Amen, get your house in order because you're going to die and not live. Amen. You hear what I'm saying? And then the, the, the Bible says that Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and he began to weep. Amen. Not only did he begin to weep, but he started asking God. He started reminding God how he had served him and how he had done this and, and done that. Hezekiah began to talk to the Lord. Say, look, because Hezekiah wasn't sure. Amen. I don't know if, am I ready? If I'm not ready, I don't know. But, but Hezekiah starts, Lord, you know, I've served thee and, I, and I've done this and I've done that. And then the, and then the, and then the messenger comes back and says, the Lord said he's going to give you a few more years. Lord, see, that's why I got to have him out of here. Look, if I'm not ready, don't, don't be trying to take me if I'm not ready. If I need some more time, give me some more time. Right. Look, I don't, look, I'm not as, I'm not, I'm not as forward as Hezekiah. I'm not even going to ask for a sign. So how, how shall I know that you're going to give me more time? No, no, no. Look, Lord, I believe, I'll take you at your word. You know, if I'm not ready to go, just let me, just let me keep living. Let me keep doing what I can, amen, so that I can make, make it right, so that this living sacrifice will be identified as holy and acceptable unto you. Amen. He says, this is tabernacle be burdened, be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. You see? Now he that has, hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given, us, uh, given unto us the earnest, earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident. See, you want to get to the place where you're confident. It, 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 not only Hezekiah. I quote the other scripture all the time, but Hezekiah was a good launching pad. But when you look at Paul, I want you to see something about Paul because Paul, Paul represents us even more so than Hezekiah but when, because Paul is a member of the church. But when you look at Hezekiah, you, you, you see that even in the days of the shadow things, we can see God working out his plan. When we look at Paul, Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, look what Paul says. Paul says, look, I fought a good fight. 
Now, see, he, he, he has this sense of confidence, right? I fought a good fight. I kept the faith, right? I finished my course. Paul says, henceforth, there's a, there is, there is a crown of righteousness. That, that's eternal life. There is a crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, shall. Boy, I'm telling you, Paul's like, look, I did all I could do. I'm, I'm, I'm just letting you lay this out here because 2 Timothy 4 is Paul's eulogy to Timothy. Paul is saying, I'm getting ready to check up out of here. But Paul is confident that all of the things that he has done. And remember, Paul used to be called Saul, who persecuted the church. But then he became Paul. And when he became Paul, after when, when, when God, that is in the form of Christ, was trans, uh, dealing with him and changing his life, and, and Jesus said to Paul, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks, Paul changed his life. And instead of being a persecutor of the church, he became an advocate for the Lord's church. Challenging that which was of the world versus that which was truly of God. Challenging the, the religious belief systems of that day. Going into the synagogues. Going into Greek and Roman countries. And challenging their pantheism and polytheism. Challenging these religions that did not conform to what God had revealed unto the apostles through the Holy Spirit. Paul said, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished my course. Paul says, henceforth, there is a crown. You've got to get to the point in your spiritual consciousness that you know that your life is in such a position and disposition that when life begins to end, you can have the same courage. That Paul had. I'm not saying we have it now, but you want to get to that point where you do. You want to get to that point where you can say, I'm, I'm, now, I'm now ready to be offered. Paul said, I'm now ready to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. You want to get to that point, not only when, 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 when you don't think you're ready, you want to be able to go to God and pray, Lord, give me more time. But then, look, time still runs out. Hezekiah still had to go one day. Amen. But you want to get to the point where you went with Paul. Well, Paul said, look, time, the time of my departure is at hand. He let Timothy know, I'm getting ready to get up out of here. This existence of the flesh is about to end for me. But Paul says, I, I'll tell you one thing, Timothy. If I can leave anything with you in my eulogy, I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished my course. Henceforth, there's a crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me in that day. And I love this part because, see, it blends it and tacks it all together that this isn't only for Paul. This isn't only for Timothy. This isn't only for the church of Ephesus. It's for the church of Eaglewood because he said he shall also give it unto them who also love his appearing. That includes us. So we can get to that point. Paul lets us know you can get to that point where you have confidence. 
When you say, but I am spiritual, you're not saying that as a catchphrase. You know what hell you've been through. You know what challenges you've gone through. You know what mountains you've climbed. You know what valleys you had to walk through. You know where you are in your life. When you say, but I am spiritual, mean that. Don't be guessing about it. Mean that. My life used to be one thing. But I've transitioned from that. My life is something different now. It's spiritual. Boy, I wish I had time. Paul says, therefore we always, we are always confident. Look what he says, knowing that. Knowing that. Right? Epistemology. Having a wisdom and a knowledge of something. Knowing that. You see, yeah, yeah. It's just not an awareness, y'all. It's just not an awareness. It's, 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 it's stronger than just an awareness. You can be aware of something but don't really know something. You, you follow what I'm saying? Paul says you've got to get to the point where you know something. Not just be aware of something. Now, there are those who say, you know what, I know God. Yeah, you, you, I mean, I, I'm aware of God. But, but the question is, do you know God? Right? I'm aware of God, but the question is, do you know God? Right? Because, see, aware of God may mean that you're agnostic. Amen. Lord have mercy. But do you know God? Do you know God in this sense? Do you know God... That when you were in tribulation and didn't see a way out, but, 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 but without your help, all of a sudden a window was open, a door was open, a way was made. Amen. And you say, where did this come from? Well, it didn't come from you. When you know that something has been made because of what God has done, that's when you know God. When you've exhausted all that you could do, and then God makes a way. That's when you know God. That's when you know God. Because the first thing you should be doing is saying, thank you, Lord. Because I didn't know how this was going to get done. But you made a way. Oh, amen. So you've got to get to the point where Paul says, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. In other words, don't get too comfortable being here because being here keeps you from being where you really should be, which is with the Lord.
you follow what I'm saying? You got to understand that, we, 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 look, life's challenges are heavy. It is only the shoulders of the spiritual that are able to carry the weight. Only the shoulders of the spiritual can carry the weight. And that's why we need Christ in our lives. This is a spiritual life. I'll end with this. But the spiritual, the spirit rather, is life because of righteousness. In 1 Corinthians 15, 45, you recall where he says, so also is it written, the first Adam became a living soul. The last Adam became a living, a life-giving, a life-giving spirit. You see, Adam became a living knee fish, breathing, breathing, a breather. Now you get the connection to my earlier statements about oxygen. Trans <laughs> Adam, Adam, Adam was a breather too. <laughs> we all breathers. But you want to become that which is spiritual. And in order to become that which is spiritual, we need Christ Amen. in our lives. Because eternal life is where we truly want to be. God bless us to come together. Next time I'll give you a little, a little, little, little opening to where we're going next time. When you look at what Christ did. And, I, and I'm, I'm ending right here. This is just something for you to think about. When you see what Christ did, Christ becomes that which we cannot be and we could not be. He becomes the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Amen. You see, I, 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 can, I can deal with my sin. If I choose to obey the gospel and strive to live a Christian life. But see, but I can't become the sacrificial lamb for you. Amen. Christ already did that. Amen. You see. And, 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 and in him dying on the cross, he, he then is that seed that, that, that goes into the, into the ground once. And he goes into the ground once and for all. You see that when he goes into the ground and he dies for the sins of the whole world. Understand what goes into the ground. What goes into the ground is perfection. What goes into the ground is godliness. What goes into the ground is righteousness. What goes into the ground is holiness. All of that goes into the ground. It has no sin, no guile. And none of that was found in his mouth. He goes into the ground. He dies for that which we can never become. And then he arises. He arises. And now we become fruit on his vine. We can't be the root. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. I'm trying to help us here. The root comes from the, is connected to the seed. And, 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 and the root of David is Christ. Amen. Are y'all with me? Amen. He's that which connects to the seed. Because he, he is where God has placed him. Amen. He's in that position. And let me tell you something. When, when, when you have a strong root, 
you may get some fruit that may get some worms on it, but you can always cut off that branch. But that root is still strong. Are y'all with me? I'm closing here, but I want you to stay with me now. Right? Because when I am spiritual, I'm not spiritual because of myself. On the fruit, uh, the fruit on the branch that comes from that root, which is Christ. And if I do that, knowing that all authority and all power has been given unto him, because he is the one that sits on the right hand of God, 
all that authority and all that power given unto him. I want to be where God is. I want to be where Christ is. Because I know if I trust in him, I have my faith in him, that he can help me become that which would be pleasing and acceptable unto God, which would be my reasonable service. And then I can hold that claim of being spiritual. But I am spiritual. Romans 10 and 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And Matthew 6 and 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. He lets us know you need to separate the, the, the issues from the, of the world from the spiritual things that are of God. Because the spiritual things of God take priority. We repent of our sins, Luke 13, 3 and 5. I tell you, nay, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Acts 17 and 30, God commandeth every man everywhere to repent. 2 Peter 3 and 9, God wishes none to perish, but that, but that all should come unto repentance, confessing Jesus Christ to be the Son of God. Romans 10 and 9, with the mouth we confess Christ Jesus. Romans 10 and 10, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Going down in the watery grave of baptism where I meet the blood of Jesus, where I'm washed and regenerated by the water and the, and the blood of Christ. I come up as a new creature in Christ Jesus to walk in the newness of life. It's time for you to come. Why don't you come right now as we stand and sing the invitational song? Why don't you come? Somebody's knocking at your door. Somebody's knocking at your door. And oh, sinner, why don't you answer? Somebody's knocking at your door. He can save you. Somebody's knocking at your door. He can save Somebody's knocking at your door. Oh, oh, sinner, why don't you Somebody's knocking at your door. Knocks like Jesus. Somebody's knocking at your door. Knocks like Jesus. Somebody's knocking at your door. Oh, oh, sinner, why don't you answer? Somebody's knocking at your door. Will you answer? Somebody's knocking at your door. Will you answer? Somebody's knocking at your door. Oh, oh, sinner, why don't you answer? Somebody's knocking at your door. Let's say amen once again. Amen. I want to thank Brother Coca for a fine message this morning. Amen. A real good one, one I needed help with. Uh, from his labor, I have several cards. First, I have a card from our very own sister Shirley Wiggins with a statement on the back. Please pray for Deborah and Michael Evans and also my whole family. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Sister Wiggins. Amen. I also have a card from Sister Culpepper with a statement on the back. 
sister, Natasha Scott. She has been hospitalized as of last week. She is stable along with her baby and under close watch. Also, continue to pray for Sister Hester and Brother Sister Stewart. statement on the back. We're asking for traveling grace as we plan to be out of town for the next two Sundays. Brother and Sister Reeves. From our members, we have Sister Doreen Bromel, desires prayer. Uh, says, please pray for uh, brother, my brother uh, Nathaniel and 